0: Hello and welcome to the Speak Female podcast. The podcast that is on a mission to empower, coach and educate women as well as allies around the world to become more confident, knowledgeable and to have the opportunity to listen to real subjects that they can either relate to or learn something from. Speak female as a term is defined by changing the meaning around words, phrases and stereotypes that tend to have a negative association towards women. Speak female is about how we can and will edit the narrative to build a value community with a goal to see justice in the world. I'm your host Lucy Grimwade and I wear many hats where I think and encourage others to think outside of the box. I'm an ICF qualified coach, senior IT improvement manager and of course audio and visual podcaster. For season three I have introduced panel style conversations on topics such as leadership, confidence and menopause. This is alongside a couple of interviews with incredible women doing incredible things. Now let's speak female. Welcome back to the Speak Female podcast. In this episode, we're gonna be talking about periods and menopause in the workplace. I'm joined by Kerry Outlaw who runs a change consultancy and she's also a team coach with a passion for supporting organizations and teams through cultural change to achieve and sustain their purpose. Kim Gowen, who is a Canadian living in the UK with a change management consultancy. She is focused on co-creating employee-centric change journeys. Mary Ann Fleming, who is head of technology at Monsoon, and is working hard to improve diversity in technology. And I'm also joined by Becky Weber, who is an operations director for Tape Recruitment, and is the lead for equality, diversity, and inclusion. Welcome back to Speak Female, and I'm going to dive straight in. Why should we be talking about periods and menopause, Marianne?
1: It's one of those subjects, it's, it's so taboo, and I think it's, you know, fear of being nosy or, or of blood or a, this very specific female thing that happens. You know, men really do not understand it, but if we don't talk about it, for a start, you know, I know my, my stepdaughter today, she's really poorly with period pain. She's poorly. She needs sympathy. She needs to be given, cut a bit of slack today because she's not well. But if it's all secret, then she's expected to soldier on. And that's not fair. Um, and I think, you know, for, for me at my age, being perimenopausal, the hot flashes and things like that, I, you know, I need a bit of sympathy. I need something to open the window or not to mind when I open the window because we all have periods. We all have a menstrual cycle and we just, it's not weird. And if someone was with a stomach bug or a cough or whatever, you'd be kind to them. And I think that's the big thing. We need to stop making it this kind of mystery and start making it open because the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it. And at the moment, it's not normal. Men die of embarrassment and they shouldn't, you know, it's completely normal
0: that's why we should be talking about it yeah Becky I'll come to you next
2: okay yeah no worries I mean for me um it's the most natural thing to talk about because like Marianne said it's like what we all as women go through um but it often feels maybe a little bit of a dirty subject something unpleasant um and just you know ew, cringe kind of thing when actually like i say it's the most natural thing that we go through we have periods to have babies that's why we are women um and um we also go through the menopause afterwards when we've had our children or chosen to have them um, and it's part of our life cycle and so being it's the most natural thing um then it shouldn't be a taboo subject at all but sadly for all reasons it is and that's why you know we've got us girls together to try and raise some awareness about it because um you know it's it's something that affects so many women um, in varying degrees particularly well, whether you've got periods or menopause or whatever um, and it really affects people's lives And for us not to talk about it would be just the worst thing. So we need to raise awareness. We need to talk about it and we need to make normalize it and humanize it. Um, That for me is just absolutely key.
0: Yeah, and and already kind of picking up on what Marianne and and Becky are saying there around we do need to talk about it. Marianne talking about her, her stepdaughter kind of feeling, having the pain and stuff at the moment. I've managed people, females who have had that pain. And because I've been a female manager, they could speak to me. But if I was a male manager, it, it could be harder. So Kim, it's kind of coming to you with that question still, why should we be talking about periods and menopause?
3: I think it's just to to help us understand that we're not alone in it. So if I think back to the last 18 months, I'm I'm past it now, thankfully. But um last summer I was just I wanted to do something to help women get through it and make it a little more comfortable. So I actually pulled together a group of, of women that I met on LinkedIn, people that didn't know each other, but just people I'd connected with through doing my post. And I'd done a post on menopause and then I'd have the odd woman comment about, wow, like we need to talk more about this. So I now have a group of about 50 women that have come together. And when we started the conversations, we were having small chats to begin with. And it was amazing how open people were when they had a safe place to speak about it. And it's funny because I remember after one of the conversations, I always did it in a part of the room where I hoped my husband was far away. And I came out after one of the calls and my husband said, I'm sorry, did you actually just talk about vaginal dryness? And I'm like, yep, we did, because that's what it's about. So I think to talk about it, it just is a release for us and it it helps us realize we're not alone and it's okay to talk about it. And even if we start talking about it in small, safe groups, once once we've said it out loud once, it becomes easier for us to continue to talk about it. I just think it's nice and the number of people that said wow like I didn't know that or I didn't know that it's it's helping educate each other as well about what we go through
0: and Carrie,
4: yeah I, well I'm part of that hot ladies group that Kim has spoken about and I must admit I was I was um, very surprised at just how openly everyone spoke about it with complete strangers really um, from the first call and it wasn't just vaginal dryness that came up it was also about sort of lack of libido and whoa boy that is a that's a really taboo one right so um I, I just think you know we just need to keep talking about it and interestingly i was on a on a call the other day with a, a male colleague of somebody i would worked with some while ago who is in his late 40s as is his wife and um he, he was saying to me, he, I was telling him about this call and, and the hot ladies. And he said, you know, we, you should invite some guys to it. We need to understand more about this. Um, he said, but you've got to give it to us in like bite-sized bits because we, you know, we're men, right? We can't take on all of this detail. And some of it would be quite embarrassing for us. But you know what? You know, you should invite a few men along. We'd like to understand a bit more about what's going on. Marianne,
1: Kerry's um, <laughs> made me laugh at this. We often bite men because they are affected by it. Things like the vaginal dryness, the lack of libido. All our partners are going. Has he gone? Off? Has she gone off me? And all this sort of thing, you know. Because it's not a, a comment on our relationship. It's a comment on our relationship with our bodies. But my dad, and bless his heart, he's in his late eighties now. um Oh no, he's not. He's mid eighties. I better get that right. He'll be really cross if he listens to this. But he's got seven. <laughs> Uh, five daughters, two daughters-in-law, we're all of that age, and he sat at the dining table with most of us there, and he said, oh my god, what are you lot going through, why don't you talk about it, we never talked about this in the boardroom, we don't even talk about it at the dinner table, and we were all quite shocked, because we were sort of, well, what do you want to know, but the sympathy was there, he just didn't know how to ask us, or express it, or what we needed from him, and I think we should remember that, that, that our husbands and Partners and sons and, and dads would help us if they knew how and would be sympathetic if we told them what was going
3: on.
2: Yeah, and just kind of oh Becky. I was just gonna add that um I had a one of my stepsons turn around to me and um he turned around and goes, uh because uh, I was telling him about what well, I was I was reading up about an article on the menopause he goes oh that's when you don't have periods and you turn really angry and grumpy isn't it and I I was like ready to give him a, a sharp right hook quite frankly at the time and um, and then I thought actually it's because you're not educated it's because you don't know and we laughed about it um, but we because we. Even when we go through it, or we are going through it, we can cast judgments on people that don't understand it. And there's, as you quite rightly said, Marianne, it's a, and everyone said actually, it's everyone's problem. It's not it's not even a problem. It's everyone needs to be aware of it because it affects every single person, children, um, parents. Um, husbands every all any male any woman is is affected by it so the more educated we can be the better but it just is these stigmas these assumptions that are made because we don't talk about it that can be so hurtful at times when you're feeling particularly low or particularly sensitive but no one um, would mean or intend to upset anyone? Would they really? Because we, all, everything we say is always generally very well intended, but we can take it so far the wrong way, and it's just through lack of education. So, going back to your original question, the reason why we need to break the taboo is because we need to educate more than ever, so that you know we we share the knowledge, we share the information, so that more people are aware of it, and um, us grumpy women with horns don't get so offended
0: by it Uh, yeah Becky thank you so much for summarizing that because I was going to say that it is about education also it's about the power of community and it's not just a woman's problem it's everyone's problem and I really really like that so thank you for sharing that so Becky I'm going to stick with you and I want to ask you around what are the facts and figures around periods and menopause I'm not going to profess
2: to be an expert, Lucy, to be fair. Um, so I'm going to give um, a bit of a, a rah-rah to Bev Thoroughgood, who um, runs Floresco because she very kindly put together some um, infographics for me for um, Tate to share some of the facts and figures around menopause. So I'm literally going to refer to those. But one of the things I am going to say that really, really surprised me is that there are 34 symptoms associated with the menopause. There may be a few others that aren't actually listed on that 34, but that's a huge amount of, um, of things that we can attribute to the menopause that maybe people don't realize. Um, other factors, um, you know, and this is the thing that really, really um, concerns me. One in four people leave the workplace because of a lowering of confidence and self-esteem, and lack of belief that they can do things because of some of the symptoms they encounter, such as brain fog, forgetfulness, um, you know, short-term memory loss. All of those sorts of things that ebb away at your confidence, um, which is just awful. You know, when someone's at the height of their career because of their um, experience and life experience to then um, you know suddenly let that all fall away because um, you know they have that self-doubt creep in because they don't want to talk about necessarily what's they're going through or don't even realize what they're going through is affecting their day-to-day job, which is such a shame. Um, you know, the average age of the menopause is 51, that's me, I'm 51 now, so I'm waiting for it to happen. (laughs) Like a little ticking time bomb, waiting for it to happen, because I'm definitely perimenopause. Um, And one in 100 women um, suffer under the age of 40. Um, That's a a big stat, you know, Um, that's not a a tiny one, 4.4 million working women over 50, Um, that's huge. I mean, 80% of Tate's working population is female. So, um, and a lot of those people have been with the business a very long time. So, you know, for us not to talk about it would be completely wrong. Um, What other facts can I think about? Um, So, in terms of, you know, when you actually begin the the menopause, it's when you haven't had a period for over 12 months. It's that first first day. That is when it switches from perimenopause to menopause. Um, And um, the average age is between 40 and 55 that you do suffer with it. And the average length of the menopause is four years but it can go on a lot longer the, for that for some people um, as well so it's a lot to get your head around really isn't it
1: Marianne uh, it's a really interesting um stat there Becky about it being up to four years of um the perimenopause and that you have to have that clear year without a period afterwards because certainly even my stepdaughters uh we were talking about it recently uh, because I was telling them I was doing this podcast and um one of them said, yeah, but you must be over it now. You're 52. And I was like, no, no, I'm not. And she said, but they seem to think it was a switch, that it's one minute you're fertile menstruating and then you're not. And it really isn't like that. I think I've been peri for probably four years and maybe longer, and I'm still not finished with it at all. Um, and I think that's really important to get out there, that this perimenopausal period is actually,
3: it's not a switch. Kim? Yeah, the only thing I'd add is that um, I don't think many people are aware, but you can you can trigger menopause by a really stressful event in your life as well. So for me, I was 51. um, I was back in Canada. My dad was not doing well, I ended up losing him. And in that six weeks period of time of dealing with what I was dealing with, my period stopped midway through and I never got another one. So, and it was completely brought on from the stress of what I was going through. And I knew someone that I used to work with who was um, late thirties and was widowed. And same story for her, stopped midway through just as this happened and never got one back again. So I think life's traumas can also bring that upon as well. The funny part of that story is that I suffered with horrible um, day and night, flushes or flashes as we call them back home I was getting up to 25 a day and I always I, I joked that it was my father's way of making me remember him and think of him because every time I had a hot flush I'm like oh that's you again I don't forget you <laughs> but I think it's just another interesting point to note that it can be brought on by that.
0: Carrie? Yeah
3: I
4: was, I was just going to actually mention the fact that for a number of women perhaps Somebody like myself who suffered endometriosis throughout her sort of menstrual period. Um, the, the sort of drugs that we end up on, and the coils and the pills and everything else to try and ease those symptoms actually put you into that sort of perimo- perimenopausal state, probably a lot earlier than you expect. You're not actually seeing periods. Um and some of, the, some of the symptoms that, you know, some of the 34 symptoms that Becky talked about, I probably experienced for a lot, lot longer, but I wasn't necessarily menopausal. And unfortunately, because I wasn't receiving, I wasn't having periods and I wasn't on all these drugs, I had no idea what my last period was going to be. Um, and it could have been a lot sooner. I have no idea. We just got to a point where we just sort of agreed with, um, with my doctor around about 50, that I probably was um and therefore you know we should just change the treatment and I moved on to HRT but it's almost it's almost been like a very prolonged period for me and I'm sure that's the same for a number of other people as well.
0: Becky I'm still digesting some of those facts that you you've given there 34 symptoms Mm -hmm. 34 (laughs) and then you mentioned things like brain fog memory loss yeah hot the hot flushes
2: yeah they're probably some of the most common ones that obviously people attribute to the menopause but obviously there's some less um, common ones as well and speaking from experience um, I remember a conversation I had with Kim not so long ago where she said um, if anything's not quite right attribute it to the menopause and then go back from you know work back from there and I was sat there thinking I've been having heart palpitations like just like and sort of breathing really struggling sometimes with my breathing all of a sudden and I I couldn't think what on earth it was and I was like that feels something I should be worried about um and then when I was looking through the um symptoms that was one of them was heart palpitations I was like ah now, Kim, you're talking sense. <laughs> um, the other things, I mean, there's just aching joints. Um, you know, tingling. there's... Yeah, tingling, tingling. tingling, Hot legs. Oh, my yeah. goodness me. Lying in bed and I sometimes feel like my feet are on fire. Um, and then I touch them and they're just like normal temperature. But inside it feels like they're on fire. And I, they're so fidgety and uncomfortable um, as well. And just, um, you know, all, you know, other things, I guess, lack of sleep. Um, you know you said Lucy before we started this podcast she's struggling with sleep last night I think I was up at half past three and I can't remember actually going back to sleep again so it's a good job podcast you can't see people because (laughs) I've got eye bags as big as goodness knows what at the moment but um so yeah I'm sure um the rest of um you know the rest of us on this podcast can probably share other symptoms that they're experiencing I haven't even mentioned so Oh, one that um, I
4: was actually really surprised about, I, I suffered last year with um, really terrible sort of dizziness and balance problems, and although they're actually, I was, I was diagnosed with a vestibular migraine, so problems with problems with the vestibular nerve in my ear, I was really surprised on one of the hot lip sessions, another lady said, who was actually in very early uh, menopause, Um said that she suffered the same and so it's really difficult to sort of identify what is part of menopause and what's something else and I've got I I don't know I don't know how many doctors I've seen around this and specialists um and and it is just one of those things where menopause can be the start of a lot of these issues but it may be other things that are going on as well and you, you don't necessarily therefore get treated properly for it um Fortunately for me, I think, I think I've had the right doctors on it and they've given me the right medication. So I rattle as I walk every morning because of how many tablets I take, (laughs) but it's at least I feel, I feel good now, which is, which is a good thing
0: and again I I think I'm still digesting all of all of these this kind of educational piece even for me with the 34 symptoms the average age is 51 it can happen between 40 and 55 it can be four years plus you know it kind of leads me on to the next question why on earth is talking about menopause and things like periods why is it still a taboo uh Marianne I'll come to you with that that
1: it's a really good question and i think it's i think this is really long term um habits that women have and i mean long term like back to tudor times back even before that where um the fact that women bleed was seen as um you know if you you think about um even you know right back into to um you know, in the Jewish culture, where well, you're very orthodox, you know, there's the cleansing after your period and that kind of thing. It was seen as dirty. Um, I think there's stuff around we don't want to inconvenience anyone. We don't want to embarrass anyone. Um, you know, you've. it happens every month. Why can't you cope with it better? Um, all those sort of things. And we, as women, are brought up not to inconvenience people, to look after people, to put our own needs a bit on the back burner because we're looking after everybody else. Um, and, and I think it's absolutely conditioned into us that it's secret and, and we shouldn't talk about it. And it's it's mad. It's just, you know, it it is, we've said this before, it is the most natural thing that happens. And I think, you know, there's, we, we've met, touched on this a couple of times, the more we talk about it, the easier it becomes to talk about it because there are also women out there who are not menstruating. And that's a terrible sadness for them. Um, you know, people with fertility problems, none of this is secret. If it was cancer, we'd talk about it. If it was um, migraines, we would talk about it. So I think it's um, it's taboo because it is so ingrained in us that it's secret and it shouldn't be. Kim?
3: Yeah, I, I think um, another point to make as to why we're, it is taboo, for us as females, we're typically early 50s when we come into to the menopause and we're supposed to be at the peak of our career and it's not a time where we're screaming from the rooftops hey look at i'm 50 hear me roar and to talk about saying we're in menopause only brings to light the age that we are and i think there's a fear of being discriminated against i when i was going through what i was going through i'd sit in board meetings and i'd have this cream that I would put on my wrist when I felt a hot flush coming on because it would reduce my symptoms. And I'd be in a room with 10 men and I thought, I don't really care because if I cover it up, I'm just adding more stress to myself, which will increase my my flush that I was having. But I think the age the age discrimination, the fear of that is a big issue.
4: Kerry. i will just um, going back to Marianne's point as well about um, her father and talk, saying we don't talk about it in the boardrooms either. it well, may be because most of the boardrooms are filled with men, and although we're we're changing that very very gradually, um, you would hope that the women that make it that far will be those big voices that speak out and do start making a big thing about this. I suppose just like over the over the last sort of thirty years, we we've, we've started talking about so many of the taboo subjects, whether it be um transgender people, e- even sort of lesbian gay community, we talk much more about uh, racial discrimination and so on. Um, so you, you would hope that this is just dis- the first of many taboos that uh, we will still we' still conquer over the next sort of 10, 15 years, and perhaps more so as more women enter the boardroom, because we're perhaps a little bit more sensitive to these things because, we all carry one of those. You know, we, we may all be around on this panel, sort of white English females of a certain age. Um, and that sort of puts us into one grouping. Now I'm not interested in whether anyone on here is gay or transsexual, but we we do have one thing that we all share, which is the fact that we're all gonna go through menopause at some stage.
0: Becky?
2: I was gonna say, um, one of the things that I'm very aware of um, being that I'm a lady of a certain age and also um the fact that I um really want to raise awareness in um our workplace to make it a, more of a comfortable conversation for managers to have with their staff and for people to have in general is trying to do it in the right way so that it doesn't become so much of a thing so you'll you'll because <laughs> labels are, I have a real thing about labels um and we label things and that's where stigmas come from and assumptions come from. Um, and it's trying to make it so it becomes natural rather than really honing in on a subject that then becomes this thing that again, almost could make the situation worse. Um, and you know, going back to your question about the taboo, I completely agree with Kim, you know, and, and we all would share the same answer is, you know, we, we have to make it comfortable so that we can remove these stigmas um, because throughout our lives we've grown up thinking because we don't have the knowledge because no one teaches this in education or school or whatever, you know, if we talk about, you know, going back to when I think about my children going through sexual education, menopause is not a word that is mentioned. They wouldn't have a clue. It's only what they pick up through proper YouTube. I'm sure they're not YouTubing videos about the menopause, but do you know what I mean? It's through information that's passed down through the generations. Um, But basically women of a certain age have horns on their heads and they turn into these evil monsters. Um, And that stigma stays with you. And it's about us making it a normal conversation so we can break these stigmas and these beliefs that are so not true. There's much more to it. There's, There's life in us yet, isn't there girls? That's for sure. In fact, actually our life is only just beginning. That's how I see it.
1: Marianne. Um, I think it's it's interesting these um stereotypes that we talk about um around you know women of a certain age and that sort of thing. And I I certainly got very sensitive about it when I had um a Marina coil put in about the one before last. And they said, Oh, probably next time we see you, you'll be menopausal. And I was really defensive about that. And I was like, I will not will. I was and you know whatever, but um, we we def- we kind of resist it and we defend it. And I was going to the GP about various things, nothing particularly big, but quite often it'd be women of your age, you should expect it at this age, whatever. And then I fell off my bike. I was training for a triathlon. And I fell off my bike, and I went crashing down and, and mashed up my left arm really badly. Went to Ernie. <laughs> the doctor said, "Well, yes, we often see this in." And I said, "You say women of my age." And he went, no, no, I was going to say bicycle accidents (laughs) and I'd been so defensive about it and he was just trying to help me. So I think we need to remember that it's not always about that. It's sometimes you just fell off a bike and that's fine too. But it's it's yeah, we get I was so defensive about this and now. Actually, thank goodness it's nearly over. I don't want to carry on having periods. Awful things.
0: Yeah, Marianne, that kind of leads me on to my next question, really. Like, why do women resist that we are going to go through the natural cycle of a menopause? And Kerry, I'll come to you on that one. I think a lot of it is
4: particularly in the workplace, it is because of um what other people might think. And if they if they've been close to a female who's going through menopause who has the brain fog symptoms and 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 perhaps becomes a bit of a victim of it um then you know i just think that makes it much more difficult for us to accept it uh, i think one of the things we just need to, to do is to stop being victims and instead sort of just be well this is what happens to everybody doesn't it you know what you know, i'm not a victim it's just what happens it's part of life um just like we grow up and we get boobs and we start periods in the first place, you know, it's just part of that overall cycle. We're all gonna go through it at some point. Um, And hopefully if we start thinking of it more as, more as just part of the life cycle of being a human, rather than, you know, something that's going to hurt us and we become a victim of, then maybe we will stop resisting it so much.
0: Becky?
2: I could not agree with you more, Kerry. And I think that's sometimes where it does become a bit of a tricky subject because there's so much you can actually do to help yourself as well. I know some people do suffer. I'm not undermining anybody that suffers with it incredibly badly because there are varying degrees and we're all very individuals. Uh, individual and we will encounter our symptoms in different Degrees and 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 uh, in different quantities, but you know, eating a healthy diet can help. Um, exercising, you know, getting enough sleep. Easier said than done. Um, But, you know, managing stress, all of these sorts of things and just um, surrounding yourself with people that are positive, that bring out the best in you. And I think sometimes we just soldier on regardless and think that actually we, you know, we don't think about the external factors that we might need to take into consideration that might actually not be working for us as well as they did before. And maybe we need to make some changes ourselves um, that are perfectly natural to do that don't necessarily include anything medical that actually can improve the circumstances we're in rather than as you said Kerry becoming a victim to the menopause and treating it as like you say a natural process that all women will go through
0: Kim yeah I
3: think I think that that whole victim mentality is a tough one but it comes back to the stereotypes as well because we believe the stereotypes as much as as others do and I, I support Becky's comment about what is it that we can do, do to take responsibility and that comes with just educating ourselves I mean if I go back to 18 months ago before I started on HRT and I was suffering from the, the those hot flushes and it's a cycle you get into you, you get the hot flushes you can't sleep You can't sleep, you become irritable, um, and you can't cope with everything else that's going on. And a lot of us, a lot of women, and the number of times we've heard it, I don't need anything, I can get through this. And I think it's just people need to, women need to understand that, yeah, they can choose to, it's a choice, but there are choices we can make to help ourselves as well, whether that is HRT or whether Becky, to your point, it's diet, um, there are things that we can do but we need to take some responsibility for our own body and our own health.
4: Carrie? Well, just, just going back to sort of the idea about HRT and so on I do think um, we are still in a in a position where or a number of women are still in a position where um, they still believe in some of the scare stories from recent years where HRT was bad for you a number of women never had it as a consequence of that and doctors wouldn't describe it. Um, I was probably very fortunate in the fact that um, within my GP practice, um, even though I had a a male GP who was my personal GP, we could switch amongst them. And one of the women GPs had been a gynecologist. And so pretty much every woman that had some kind of menopause or, or, you know, or period problem or fertility problem, whatever it was, whatever it's to do with our with our cycles, um, got referred to this particular lady GP who was extremely sensible and um, and made the whole conversation very, very easy and didn't hesitate in, in recommending HRT and went through me over the first three, four months to make sure that I was getting the right doses or something and use a gel rather than the patches or whatever it might be. So to try and make sure it was the right treatment, because there's so many different treatments, so many different forms of HRT, and they don't all work for everybody. So one thing I would encourage anybody who who feels that they've just got to cope with it, is you don't, you can get some help. Yes, there's lots of things you can do to help yourself, but the the research that's been done and the HRT that's now available is so much more helpful than it ever was. And so much less dangerous in terms of side effects.
0: Marianne? One
1: of the things we haven't talked about is it's the emotional um, impact of knowing that you're not fertile anymore and I think that is part of why we resist it. I mean I, I had one child at 25, I never wanted another, I have stepdaughters but there was never any question of us having a child of our own but there's still that knowing you can't. And um, that, I think we shouldn't underestimate that's quite big, that you move from being, you know, it's it's the old, you know, the maiden, the mother, the hag, we're moving into the hag. But actually, you know, women of our age now, when you think what your grandmother was like or your great-grandmother or whatever might be, you know, we're still working, we're still contributing, we're still a huge part of it. And I really hope one day I will be a grandparent and I will have that joy of a baby that I don't have to. (laughs) deal with all the time um but I think there's a little bit of mourning about it that says that stage in my life is over those options have been taken away from me even though I never wanted to exercise them now I can't do it and that's you know that's a little bit sad
0: yeah and thank you for sharing that because actually it's kind of triggered something in my mind from last year and I've not really shared this out publicly like what I'm about to do now but um last year I was really struggling with my periods and I'm a little bit on the fence to whether I want to have children or not you know that's kind of where I am and and the stage of career and life that I'm at and and everything and it's by choice and um, I was in such a panic and worry of like oh my goodness but what if that that option is being taken away from me right now I'm 32 at the time I was 31 you know what what's going on here and I actually ended up booking in an appointment to our local um, private GP and I actually had like all the scans and stuff to, to check that everything was fine everything was fine she said you're just lucky that you don't really have very heavy periods and I thought well I don't know whether it's luck or not but that emotion that that kind of thing that I had for about a year that kind of emotional kind of Oh my god! Like, what what happens if there is something wrong with me? And because no one talks about these things, no, I, I couldn't talk to any friends about it. I didn't know who to talk to, and I'm so pleased that we're having this podcast today because I want people to to kind of, if you think something's wrong, and it was a bit like what Kerry was saying, you know, if you think something's not quite right, you know, go to the doctors, ask the questions, look into it, speak to people about it, and that's kind of leading me on to kind of my next question: Do you have a story? Or, or kind of, Becky, you were saying this at the beginning, I think before we started to record, about sharing stories, sharing journeys to kind of, you know, educate and, and start that conversation really about periods and menopause.
2: Yeah, um, we've been, you know, when when I'm with my equality, diversity and inclusion group, it's about how best to get the message out there. Um, and you can share, you know, infographics have their place, um, podcasts have their place, um, all sorts of different mediums that you can share, um, but to humanise it, to make it relatable and to make it comfortable, storytelling about your own experiences can be incredibly empower, you know powerful. To think you know it's a bit like um, when my, my sister had breast cancer at the age of thirty one, and she started talking about it started supporting other people and as soon as she started talking about it everyone everyone comes out of the woodwork it's like oh my gosh, I didn't realize that you had that and um, somebody I know close had it or I had it or whatever. Um, and it's a similar kind of thing. You, it, it grows. It's like um, Kim was saying um, earlier, whether it was before the podcast or during the podcast, it was about, you know, one person at a time. It starts to grow. It's small. And you need to have in your mindset that it whatever you're doing to make a difference to others, you start small and it starts to grow. Um, but storytelling, for me, having someone that actually is brave enough and courageous enough to talk about their journey and their story um, can be incredibly powerful to others to help them open up and to share their experiences. Um, so, you know, that's how we will look um, within our organisation to start um, to spread Um, the knowledge and uh, education and also to make the the conversation comfortable to talk about Um, so um, yeah that's kind of where
0: I was going with it does anyone else have a story they'd like to share Uh, yeah Kerry then Kim
4: what Becky was just talking about Um, I I was I suffered from endometriosis through my 30s which was incredibly painful and meant that I was taking time out of work fairly regularly to go and have myself zat, really, to get rid of some of it. Um, And it wasn't until I was taking some time out that uh, I realized there was another lady um, in a very similar position and she also suffered endometriosis. And it almost became a little uh, little clique of us that actually realized but it was only once one person spoke out about it that everybody else realized there are others that were suffering from endometriosis as well. Um, and it's almost like you're almost becoming your own little self-help group in many ways. But obviously, there's lots of lots of stuff that you can look up, and there's the doctors which should be telling you what's going on. But it's by talking to other people that are suffering the same that really helps you realize you're not abnormal. You know, it's actually you know, there are actually quite a, lo- a number of other people that are suffering the same things. So I think I think it is the storytelling. It's about being open and not thinking you're the only one, uh, and look and looking so positively looking for other people that you can you can share your stories with, and it then beca- it just grows, it just flourishes, and I think other people find out about it, and they they may not be um, somebody who's suffering from the same issues it just makes it, it makes it easier for other people to share their problems.
3: Kim? Yeah, and I just, I speak to the power of creating that safe space so that women feel comfortable to talk about it. And that group that Carrie's a part of and Becky's participated in that I've pulled together, you can see the benefits of what we're doing in that community. I mean, we've had a number of occasions where we'll have a monthly catch-up, and one woman will come on and say, "I, I really need some help." Um, they've been going through some really tough time. One walked away from her her job, and we just needed to rally around her and be there for her to just vent, whether she wants to laugh, cry, scream, talk about it, not talk about it. We were a group of people there, and if you think about it, we're we're strangers that have been united because of this one thing that we go through but by them having a place where they can speak about it we've also had a number of women say this has now made it easier for me to talk to my friends and my husband and at work so it doesn't have to necessarily start at work and Becky what you're doing is brilliant and that's We need to start it at work, but it doesn't have to be. As long as women can start to feel comfortable saying it out loud, the story becomes much easier and it isn't really a story anymore. It's just business as usual type thing. It's a way of life. So I think it's just finding your tribe that you can feel comfortable. And it's a shame that that's not always our best friends um, or our family, but it doesn't matter. We've just got to start talking about it and creating those safe spaces.
0: Marianne
1: it's so hearing your stories it's I mean I feel quite emotional talking about that you know that this tribe and this idea that we're all together and I've just got one little snippet to add to that I was in a meeting this week at work on Thursday and for once and it very rarely happens it was all women in the meeting I work in IT so it's very rarely it's usually all men with me and, and it was all women because it was very business focused and we were in our supply chain director's office and she had a fan on and as each of us came in we went oh thank goodness the fans on and there was a real moment where we all had that little yes that stuff you know it was just lovely and that tribe just
0: was there it was great. Carrie then came again.
4: I was just going to say I think um, if there's any good to come out the last couple of years it is the fact that we made these um, made these relationships created these relationships which we might never otherwise have done. It's amazing the, the power of LinkedIn, the power of webcasts, podcasts, which have just brought people together. And probably two years ago, when we were all buried in our work back in the office. We probably would have only spoken to people around us. So um, I, I vote that actually let's have enough. No, let's not vote for another pandemic, but let's, let's make sure that we, we've learned the lessons of all of this um and we keep these these groups going keep these these networks going.
3: Kim? Just one really short funny story Marianne you triggered when you talked about the fan in that office so an old boss of mine male this goes back years and years ago and I remember him telling me a story about uh he was running a call working in a call center he was running a call center and this is a man who didn't really like the touchy-feely women's side of things but was a huge advocate of of supporting women in the workplace anyway he was he was on the the floor one day and he was trying to you know just be really pally with everyone and he'd see, gone up to this one woman and saw that she had um a fan on her desk and this is like 20 years ago and He thought because it was IT, he thought that her computer was overheating and she's getting quite warm. So he says, I'm gonna fix this problem. And he said, Let me let me take care of that. I'm gonna get you a new laptop. And she looked at him and said, Thank you, but I'm I'm going through menopause. I'm having a hot flush. (laughs) And he's like, because he was trying to do the right thing. (laughs) And at least he observed this, but kind of got it wrong. But you still gave him full props for trying to do the right thing oh bless him
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's very funny (laughs) at the end of each episode I like to um end the the podcast with a toolbox on how we can bring up the conversation at work around periods and menopause so Becky I'll come to you first what what kind of two or three things could we do to kind of start that conversation in the workplace i think um is to
2: educate the people around you on what the menopause is all about all you know women issues are all about if it's not just the menopause but creating um, a place where it's comfortable to talk um, so that you get the dialogue started so a culture of openness and trust um, also a bit like mental health you know I'm a mental health first aider as well and it's um, it's about training um, managers to confident, confidently have that conversation with their staff um, so um, you know so that it doesn't become this one thing that's never spoken about Um, and being brave, um, encouraging people to maybe share their stories. As Kim has quite rightly said, it needs to feel safe, a safe place to do that. Um, um, whether that, you know, in, in my, in my, um, situation, whether that starts with me being in a senior position so that I lead by example, and maybe that is the right place to start. Um, but you create a safe place for people to talk about it. Um, I'm I'm very much still on the learning journey, I will be honest with you, I'm, you know, whilst I'm in amongst it myself being um, 51 and and experiencing some of the symptoms, there's a huge amount for me to learn, Um, you know, just because we are of a certain age doesn't mean to say we are experts in any way, shape or form, but actually the more we talk about it, the more educated we become with one another. Even when I spoke to one of my staff members, one of my managers, and she said, "Oh, I've been on the on HRT for years," and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, I had no idea. Never spoken about it. Never even realised that she might have been encountering any problems." Um, And she's been researching it for such a long time; she's almost an expert at it. And actually, it's actually pulling upon those resources to help other people if she's comfortable to then potentially share her knowledge as well. So baby steps, but yeah. Open, open culture, and trust training managers, education would be my three areas there. Thank you, Becky. Kerry, I'll go to you next. I would agree with
4: all of that, Becky. I think I think it's about um, it is just about making it one of the things we talk about, just like what we did over the weekend. Um, I think part of the problem is that we we don't talk about those things, and we try and put them into boxes. And we end up with a policy, which is this, uh, you know, basically a written statement without any kind of real human actions going on. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm very much anti-policies in many, in many ways, and just make it more action and task focused. You know, just do things differently. And that creates that culture that you want of openness and honesty. But it's about people taking action to it not just writing about it.
0: And Kim?
3: Yeah, I think start small and it's not about changing the world. So Becky, you mentioned it before. If for me, when I was going through it in the workplace, if I could have just enabled a conversation for one other woman who was struggling and didn't feel like she could talk about it at work, then that was a success. So I think we just have to start the conversation, whether we're leaders and we lead from the top, or it can just be a private conversation one-on-one. It's just starting that movement, but we've got to start it.
0: And Marianne?
1: I've certainly used humour on this one as well, because I sit in a mainly male office. Um, You know, it, it is something that we don't talk about. But if I make a comment about is it only me or is it hot in here or, um, you know, there we there is humour to be used as well. So it, it isn't embarrassing to talk about because these guys have wives and daughters and sisters and mums. And, you know, I think we owe them some honesty that says, look, this is a bit difficult. I'm, it's not you. It is me, that kind of thing. So I've used, the, you know, I use humour a lot that just says, you know, give me a break I'm dying of heat exhaustion here and that kind of thing and and while it doesn't necessarily open the conversation up into any depth it does say this is where where we are so this you know this is my reality And, and I think you know awareness of these guys that this is
0: happening this is real is quite important. Yeah and thank you everyone today for this really kind of enriching thought-provoking conversation and I've actually for me personally I've come away with a lot more knowledge than I did before we started this and I really hope those that are listening today can really go and share this podcast with their colleagues and friends and family and their line managers and really kind of start having that conversation and once again thank you so much for joining me on Speak Female. Thank you for tuning in to the Speak Female podcast. I've been your host, Lucy Grimwade. Check out the show notes where you will find contact details for the panelists that have been on this episode today. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share across your networks. The more people we can reach, the better. And I will leave you with this. Be curious, be kind, and be the change you want to see in the world. Speak female soon.